really glad to be with you tonight. And, and I, I'm so just stoked because I get to tell you my favorite all-time story from all the Bible. It, 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 it's, a, it's a mystifying story. It's an amazing story. And better yet, it can be your story. It can be my story if I'll open myself to it. It's the story of, the, of the, just the defining moment in the life of a guy by the name of Jacob. Now, some important backstory. Uh, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who you might have heard of. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson, all right? Now, Jacob's parents were named Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah, he was, uh, Jacob was the, was the younger of two twin boys that were born to Isaac and Rebekah. And it's just, and, and to me, it's, it's not just an amazing story. It's kind of a funny story, um, backstory included. As, as Esau, his older brother, is being born, as he's, as he's coming forth from the womb, the Bible says they had been wrestling in their mother's womb, these twins had been, and then when Esau, the older twin by just a few seconds, was born, there's a little hand sticking out, grabbing onto his heel. I'm glad one person thought that was funny, because I think it's very funny. There, get, picture it in your mind's eye. Can you picture it? Little leg coming out. Somebody's like, just hold on to it like that. And so they named him Jacob, because Jacob literally means heel grabber. Jacob means heel grabber, literally. Now, figuratively, y'all, Jacob means deceiver, cheater. So from the get-go, we know by the name he's given in Scripture that uh, Jacob will put one over on you if he can. They name him that, and he lives up to his name uh, more than once, at, at least twice. He, he cheats and deceives his older brother Esau in significant ways. With the help of his mom, he was kind of a mama's boy. His, his, his brother Esau was kind of a big burly guy. And Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. And with the help of his mama, he actually deceived his father too. And then Esau, you know, finally can't take it anymore. And Esau swears he's going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob has to be on the run, has to run away because, you know, manly, muscled up, testosteronic Esau is out to get him. So, so Jacob's on the run. He runs away. And as he's running away, it's, he's out in the wilderness. And he, he lays down to sleep at night. He uses this, this, this rock for a pillow. And, and says that he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a stairway to heaven. And at, at the top of this stairway was Robert Plant. See, y'all got that a lot more than the 4 o'clock service did. No, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Robert Plant. At the top of this stairway was God. And God says this amazing thing to Jacob. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation from you. Not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless the world through you. Even though you're a cheat. Now, that last part isn't in the text explicitly. But it's implied. God's saying, even though you're a mess and you don't deserve my love, I'm going to love you. Even though you don't deserve my blessing, I'm going to bless you. 
And it fascinates me so much, you all. Look what Jacob says back to God when God pronounces this blessing on him. Jacob says back to him, he says, you know, God, well, if, if you do such and such, then you'll be my God. If. Why does he say if? What is he doing? He's working God. He's trying to strike a bargain with God. I mean, not that any of us would ever do that. He's trying to strike a bargain with God. He's, he's grabbing at God's heel now. So Jacob's on the run, okay? He's on the run, and, it, and in his adventures, he ends up with a wife, or two, or four. He marries these two sisters by the name of Leah and Rachel, and they each bring with them, essentially, mistresses for him. It's Genesis. It's messy. And he has all these sons and all these daughters. And after years of living in his father-in-law, his father-in-law's name was Laban. In living in uh, uh, Laban's neck of the woods, um, Jacob decides to leave and head on back home. And as he leaves, father-in-law Laban's chasing him because guess who cheated him too? Heel grabber is on the run again. Now, by now, Jacob has been away from home for 21 years. Away from his mom, away from his dad, away from his murderous, I'm going to kill you, brother Esau. But now Jacob's heading home, and he's a very, very wealthy man by now. He's got all these servants, and he's got hundreds, who knows, maybe thousands of sheep and goats and donkeys and, and whatever. See, back then, you didn't have $100 bills in your pocket if you were rich. You had animals. And so Jacob and his wives and his servants and his animals, they're, they're heading for home. And as they get closer to home, they approach this river that has an interesting name. It's just, it, it's just called Jabbok. It's the river Jabbok. Somebody say Jabbok. Jabbok. You come up on this river Jabbok. And the river Jabbok's important because just on the other side of the river Jabbok, right, is guess whose territory? Oh, very sharp crowd. It's Esau's territory. Dun, 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 dun. Can you feel it? So he's approaching brother Esau. And see, in the past, when uh, deceiving didn't work, he just ran away. But now what's he going to do? Because behind him is his his crazy father-in-law, Laban, who's out to get him. And in front of him is homicidal brother Esau, who's been out to get him for 21 years. And he's thinking, you know, which way do I run? I can't go back there. I can't go forward. Which way am I going to go? And now we come to the defining moment, the defining moment in not just the story, but in all of heel grabber's life. He's praying and he's saying, you know, God, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And out of nowhere, just boom, he gets tackled out of the darkness there by the river Jabbok. This figure just pounces on him. And oh, it's on. It's on now. I mean, it was like a cage match, only without the cage. I mean, there's, there's headlocks, and there's pile drivers, and there's figure fours, and people are hitting each other over the head with folding chairs. I made that part up. And, 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 and there's just this wrestling match, and, it, and it's so mystifying. I mean, Jacob, who, who is this? Is this an angel? Is this a man? Is this some 
mysterious kind of physical embodiment manifestation of God? You know, what, what's the deal? He doesn't know. And uh, it's interesting because the Bible says at this point, uh, from all we, if you, if you kind of connect the dots, he's not, Jacob's 97 years old. And he's not just wrestling, he's holding his own. 97-year-old man holding his own? Oh, you know, yeah, that's how stubborn a heel grabber he was. And hours into this, this, this wrestling match, the angel or the man or the whatever just strikes him on the hip, puts him in some kind of hip locker, just rips his leg out of the joint or something. And so uh, uh, now Jacob has no leverage. And he wrestles no. You know, I know from just wrestling my boys, you can't, you can't wrestle unless you can get leverage. And so, so Jacob's, uh, no way can he win. He's wounded. He's injured. And he's in pain. And even though, I love, it's interesting, even though he's lost, even though there's no way he can win, he won't let go. Angel says, you know, let go, you've lost. And Jacob says, I won't let go until you bless me. It's like he's grabbing on to God's beard. Saying, you know, we're going to duke it out, Yahweh. Me and you. Mano a divino. Then finally the angel says, okay, 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 okay. What's your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. Heel grabber. Deceiver. Cheater. But, but Jacob. And the angel says, not anymore. That's not your name anymore. Now your name is Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with man and have overcome. And he blesses him. But notice this. In this wrestling match, not only is Jacob blessed, he's also wounded. And for the rest of his life, he walks with a limp, injured from wrestling with God. Israel means wrestles with God, struggles with God, dukes it out with God. That's the name that God gave Jacob in his moment of need as he was about to face his murderous brother. And that's also the name God gives to you if you follow him. If you're a Christ follower, if you've come to the place in your life where you say, you know what, God has made his grace and love and mercy clear to me in Jesus. I'm following him for the rest of my life. You wrestle with God. See, Christ followers, we've got to get this, y'all. Christ followers are not people who've got it all figured out. Christ followers are not people who, you know, who necessarily know chapter and verse, the Bible backwards and forwards. Christ followers are not people who are better than anybody else. Christ followers are not folks who've got their act together. Christ followers are people who invite the Lord into their space and say, do business with me. Whatever you want to do in my life, do it. And what I believe we're all supposed to get out of the wonderful story of Jacob wrestling with God by the river Jabbok can be summed up in two words. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but I'll tell you something. Your name is Israel. And he's doing something in your life. So you hold on. You hold on. 
you wrestle with God and you don't let go. And it's hard. This is not bumper sticker, refrigerator, magnet theology. This is hard. We get tired. We get wounded. We get disillusioned and stuff doesn't make sense. My oldest son was born premature and for days they wouldn't tell us whether he was going to live or die. And um, to that point in my life I'd never known pain like that. And it was hard to understand. Because God could have kept that from happening to my boy. God could have kept that, kept me from going through that pain, but he didn't. And I had to wrestle with that. I've spoken here before. I've shared with you all before. Uh, there was a day after 13 years of marriage where the person I've been married to uh, uh, since I was in school came home and said, out of love, out of here. And within a year, I was divorced. And I don't know how it would have worked with the whole free will and everything, but if God wanted to, he could have fixed that somehow, but he didn't, and I had to wrestle with that. And as I think I've shared with you before, all my life I've, I've struggled with depression and anxiety and insomnia. And God could have fixed all that by now. He could have fixed my blood chemistry that's all messed up, or he could have fixed my damaged self-image, or if that's where it's come from, or childhood trauma that I might not even know. He could have fixed all of that, but he hasn't yet. A few summers back, I was playing basketball one day and I broke both wrists and my tailbone on one play. Top that. <laughs> I've been to the emergency room four times and had three different surgeries for just thinking, well, this is just a freak accident. You know, and I have to go through these surgeries and they're, you know, they're, my, my, Seven screws and a plate there and this finger screwed back together. That's as much as I can straighten it And you know, and then you go through the surgery and then you have to go through the rehabilitation and all All, all, all of the physical therapy and all of that and, and it was just a hassle And it's like, you know, God could have kept that from happening to me and I know what you're thinking So could have you tim Just quit playing ball you moron you're old. I mean, I understand I, I mean, thank you very much for the encouragement y'all. I appreciate that but And Anybody who knows me knows that though my name's not Deceiver, uh, my name is Arrogant. My name is um, Judgmental. My name is Self-Absorbed. And God could have fixed that by now. He, he could have made me into somebody without any problems like Tim Harlow. I'll tell him y'all laugh loudest at that point. <laughs> but he hasn't yet. I've wrestled with God over lots of things. Me and the Lord have been through a lot of years of couples therapy. And the biggest part of my spiritual journey has just been holding on. Holding on. This wrestling with God and it's 
changed me. I'm not who I was before I wrestled with the Lord. I'm not who I was while all this stuff was happening to me. I'm I'm a different person. Yeah, I'm a lot the same in in a lot of aggravating and annoying and frustrating ways. But but I, I promise I'm different too because God's been doing stuff in my life and and I'm not who I was. Now I've got a long way to go. Just ask the saint of a woman who agreed to marry me about a year ago. Pray for her, would you? I got a long way to go. But I'm holding on. I'm not letting go. Because he won't let go of me. And you know, I think we do a bit of a disservice to our unchurched, not yet Christian friends when we just emphasize the upside of being a Christ follower, when we just emphasize the forgiveness and the, and the release from guilt and the, and the vision and the purpose for our lives and, 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 the, and the, that, that eternity is a slam dunk, it guaranteed that nobody can take away from us. And we, and, we, and we don't say, oh, and by the way, being a Christ follower is the hardest thing that will ever happen to you. It is. All, all my life, y'all, I've heard that analogy of the potter and the clay. How many have heard the potter and clay analogy? It's a big church analogy. It's in Scripture too. You know, God is shaping us and, 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 and forming us, right? He's taking this lump of just plain old clay and He's molding it into a, into a beautiful, useful cup or vase. He takes the mess of our lives and He makes it into something beautiful. You know what? It's a great analogy if clay has nerve endings. If mud can feel pain. Because if you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know that for God to turn, to turn me into something useful and something beautiful, he's gotta, he's, it, there's times where he's got to put his, his fist into me and he's got to dig his thumbs and his hands into my life. And he's going he's gonna to spin me around. And I'm, there are times I'm going to get dizzy and I'm going to get hollowed out. And I know, Lord knows, I want to be useful and I want to be something beautiful. It's better than being a lump of dirt. But it hurts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And when you go through it and you hold on to God, even when you don't know why or how He's letting this stuff happen or even how that all works, I don't get it. Don't trust anybody who says, well, here's how it works. It works this way, this way, this way. They don't know. They just think they know. You end up... Not just blessed. I'm not going to stand up here tonight and tell you how blessed you'll be. You will be. And you'll be wounded. And you will walk with a spiritual limp. We will be wounded and we will be weakened. But it's okay. You hold on because God has a way of taking our woundedness and our weakness and redeeming it and making it worthwhile. So, so hold on. Somebody in this house tonight is just this close to saying, forget it. That's it. No more. God is not there or God is not fair or if he is, God does not care. I'm out of here. No, hold on, 
Hold on. We are people who have been tackled by God. And sometimes when He tackles us, He just smothers us in, in, in a big bear hug of love. And sometimes He knocks our hip out of joint. Back to our story. Jacob leaves that wrestle match with God and he goes out to meet brother Esau. And, and maybe Esau was coming to hurt him. But as soon as Esau sees his brother, he sees something's different. He's not just older now. He sees him limping towards him. And there's something different about him. He's done fighting against God. Yeah, he's going to have to wrestle with God. He's going to have problems and stuff for the rest of his life. But Jacob's... Not a heel grabber anymore. He wrestles with God, but he doesn't fight against God. There's, this, there's something in him, I think, that Esau could see that goes, Hey, I'm just somebody that I let God do what God wants to do in my life, and it's hard. But no more bargains, no more deceit, no more if you do this, I'll do that. And yeah, he has plenty of problems, but he's different. He's no longer Jacob, heel grabber, cheater, deceiver, liar. He's Israel. And you know why? Because with God's strength, he held on. And though he was a wounded man for it, he was a better man for it. You guys got a conference coming up for men on May 13th and 14th called Risk. And maybe there's some men here to go, you know what? I don't want to just be wounded. I want to be better. And that's the wonderful story of Jacob at Jabbok. But so what? Right? Stories in church. Preachers getting riled up. What else is new? Well, maybe something. Here's takeaways. Ready? Here's the first one. Maybe, just maybe, on a regular basis, maybe a daily basis, we'll get it that in order to be transformed... We've got to be alone with God sometimes. Carl Jung is a, one of the fathers of modern psychology, and he had this, this patient, this client, and the guy was depressed and suicidal. He was working 14, 16 hours a day, but it was just meaningless and empty. Anybody know how that feels? So he comes to Dr. Jung, and Dr. Jung says at the end of the first session, he says, this, this week between now and next time we get together, I want you to spend one hour alone every day and come back and tell me what happens. This is not a joke. This really happened. The guy comes back to him and, and Dr. Young says, well, how did your one hour alone um, go? And, and the guy says, it was useless. I mean, I, I feel, if anything, I feel worse. And Dr. Young says, what did you do with the hour? And he says, well, I spent it listening. I, I was alone and I was listening to, to Mozart and Beethoven. And uh, Dr. Young says, I, I didn't tell you to listen to Mozart and Beethoven. I, I want you to be completely alone with nothing. I want you to be completely by yourself, with yourself, facing yourself. And the guy said, don't you get it? That's who I can't stand. And uh, Jung said, well, imagine what it's like for people who've got to be around you 14, 16 hours a day. <laughs> and see, I think for us it's the same. 
Before, we, you know, we so want God to fix the people in our life. We want God to fix the other people, to, 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 fix, uh, to fix the Esau's or protect the Esau's in our lives. And, and what we really need more than that, yeah, that's, that matters. What we need more than that is just to be alone in the presence of, of, our, of our Heavenly Father and the Spirit of our Lord Jesus. And just be alone with, it, with Him and, and let Him tackle us. And sure, I think it's important to read the Bible, but for this alone time I'm talking about no Bible. No devotional books, no journal, no Mozart, no Beethoven, no Counting Crows, no Black Eyed Peas, no David Crowder, no Switchfoot, and please, absolutely no Justin Bieber. No nothing. We have to learn. You think there's a reason we can't stand the silence? It's in the silence many times that he'll tackle us. But instead we run away into noise and busyness. So, Jacob, he's alone with God. And, and notice, remember what he said to God? He said, I'm not letting go till you bless me. And this is important now. Here's this, this is our stance during this time of being alone with God. It's not a time to get alone with God and go, oh God, you know, I'm a sewer, I'm a sewer, I'm a dirty, rotten sewer. You know, but No, no, no. Don't, this is not time for you to, to, to beat up on yourself. This is a time for you to say to God, God, I got all sorts of problems. I'm a flawed man, but 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 I'm not letting go till you change me. I'm not letting go till you bless me. If I've set aside 15 minutes to be with you right now, Lord, I'm going to sit here for the 15 minutes, even if I feel like you're not there, even if I feel like I'm just alone. If I've set aside a half hour, I'm going to see it out. If it's an hour, I'm going to I'm going to see it through. I am not giving up. We are Israel, and we hold on to God. We're not letting go. Something else about the story I've got to tell you. After the wrestling matches, Jacob limped away from that place. He named it Peniel. And Peniel literally means the face of God. See, it was looking back on his wrestling match by the Jabbok that he realized, oh, that was God. That was God. And isn't that how it works? I mean, at the time, we're wrestling with all this stuff, and it just seems like us and our problems and our, and our, and our hang-ups and our, and our hassles, and, and when we're suffering and when we're wondering, we can't see God, we don't know what's going on. But looking back, we can see how God uses the pain and the confusion and the suffering. And He was there with us the whole time, even though we felt like we were just thrashing around alone. In the dark. And I love the story because it says as, as old Jacob limped past Peniel. It says, you know, he's limping. And, it, and then it says, and that's why Israelites um, don't eat the meat from around the socket of the hips of animals. A little dietary trivia to wrap up the story. It's not trivia. See, to the, to the Israelites, there was something there. They'd be fixing meals, and little kids would say, Oh, Mama, let me have some of that. That looks good. And she'd say, Oh, no, honey, we don't eat that part. Oh, Daddy, carve me some of that. No, no, we don't, no son, we don't eat that part. Well, why not? Because, because Jacob, our father, the one whose lineage, just to connect the dots, Jesus came, wrestled with God. We don't eat that part to remind us that God wants to do business with us and we need to wrestle with Him. So, I'd like to 
uh, give you a gift, or what I hope will be a gift, um, right now. I, I want to recommend and challenge you to spend one hour this week before next Saturday night or next Sunday alone in the presence of God, nothing to prop you up. Just one hour total between now and then, and I want to give you a two-minute head start on it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, both feet on the floor, please. Uncross, don't cross your legs. Don't cross your arms. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Just put your hands on your knees like this, palms up. And don't worry, it's not going to get weird. Nobody's going to levitate. Okay? No chanting. Okay? Just... Here's, this is just a simple thing that I learned when I was in college, way back in the day. It's, it's, it's just called the palms up, palms down prayer method. And, and what I want you to do is be, is be silent before the Lord. And anytime something comes to your mind that is leading you in a different direction, just go palms down as a way of saying, God, I, I want to just be with you in your presence right now. So it's like I'm palms up. I'm trying to be open and receptive to God. That's all, that's all I'm here for. And then I'm going, then something comes to my mind. Oh, I wonder what's to eat later. Just palms down that. Oh, what's that perfume? I've got to get me some of that. That smells really good. Palms down to that. This preacher's got a really ugly shirt. That's not true. So palms down to that. Um, let me warn you. You get alone to God and call it what you will, but your demons will come on out. And you'll find yourself thinking anxious thoughts, feeling, thinking angry, resentful thoughts, thinking uh, maybe lustful thoughts. Because you know what? There's something that doesn't want you alone with God. And you just palms down that. You release that in Jesus' name. Okay? Two minutes. Here we go. Total quiet. It's going to feel longer than that, but I've got to stop clock going, okay? Y'all can't see it, but I can't. Two minutes. Palms up.
Okay, everybody, palms up. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our lives. We recommit ourselves to you. Do whatever you want to do. And in Jesus' name, everybody said. Read this one last thing. Eugene Peterson, who did the message translation of the Bible, wrote, writes this. Listen. Jacob was easily the most thoroughly crooked man portrayed in Scripture. There doesn't seem to have been a single redeeming feature in his life until that night when God wrestled with him and changed him. Some of us have given up on ourselves the way we would have given up on Jacob had we not known the power of God to change people. We become so completely discouraged with our own attempts at love and goodness that we wonder, will I ever make any progress in God's ways? Others of us seem so separated from the grace and love and ways of God that we wonder, who can possibly penetrate my calloused skin? The answer to these questions lies on the banks of the river Jabbok, you can't do it, but God can, so you hold on, hold on, hold on.
We're going to get ready right now to, uh, to take communion. And, you know, I don't know what you came in tonight wrestling with. I don't know what it was that was uh, really on your heart while uh, Tim was talking. I think one of the greatest things about God is that he knew we needed somebody we could identify with when it came to this. He knew that for us to be who we need to be would take pain. It would take situations that we wish we didn't have to go through. And we, we really went out of them and we asked God, can you, can you get me out of this, please? I'd really rather not be here. And so because of that, he gave us Jesus, who spent a whole night in the garden before he died saying, does it have to be like this? Or can we do this some other way? Is there some other way other than suffering, death on the cross? Is there some other way other than what's happening to my son and daughter? Is there some other way other than this friendship or this relationship that's really taken a hit in my life? Is there any other way for me to be who you want me to be? And because of Jesus, we have someone who can sympathize with what that feels like. To cry out to God and to know that the answer has to be where we are. And so this is a meal with a person at the center, a person who knows what it feels like to struggle, who knows what it feels like to suffer, who knows what it feels like to weep and cry out to God, can we do this some other way? And to hear the response, this is the only way. As we take, uh, as the trays are passed across, there are two cups. Would you reach in and take both cups, hold them? We're going to commune together. You don't have to be a member of Parkview to take communion with us. As long as you're a believer in Jesus, please feel free to take both of those cups. Let me pray for us. Father, it's through your grace and through the beautiful love of your son and the fact that he died in our place, that he, he went through the life that we go through and struggled with the things we struggle with so that we would know that there's someone who could walk beside us. We would know that there's someone who understands what it feels like to hurt and to lose. And so as we take these elements, this bread and this juice, this body and this blood, we take it to remember that we are not alone in our struggles, in our sufferings. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.